If you haven't already, would you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1? And as you're opening your Bible, we have a video to play. What I think of when I hear the words better together. Better together. Better together. Better together. So when I hear the words better together, I think of Paul in Ephesians 4 when he's talking about people's spiritual gifts. Um, And really the goal of those gifts is to build up the body to maturity. And when each of us use the gifts that we've been given, that really grows to maturity and we see the blessings all around. Why not serve? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be the hands and feet, so why not? My name is Jennifer Litson, and I am a Sunday school teacher. My name's Al McCracken, and I serve on the praise team at Southview. Being able to look out and, and watch people worship while we're playing the music and uh, seeing their faces and their emotions as we uh, worship God together. My name is Ashley Nettleton, and I serve downstairs with our student youth. One of my favorite things about serving downstairs with the students is definitely the relationships that you get to build, not only with the kids, but also with the other adults that are down there as well, too. Um, But... I was never one that thought I would love to work with teenagers, but I've come to love those kids like my own. We're just so much, there's so much more power when we're all united and doing what God's called us to do. Amen. We are better together. Thanks to our friends that took the time to interview, and thanks so much for Ryan making it. Not only did he star in it there, but he uh, put it together. He can multitask like that. You just thought somebody was interviewing him. He's talking to a camera with nobody behind it, right, Ryan? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Myra was in there. She told me. We're better together, right? Yeah, yeah. Myra asked the questions. He answered them. It worked well. Well, uh, you have got your Bibles there before you and your sermon notes before you, and this is the third of our five sermons in this series, Better Together, and today we're talking about serving together. Remember, two weeks ago was about belonging together. Last week was praying together, so if you weren't here, that's why we have these super cool things with uh, all the little rolled up jobbers in them. Those are prayers, and uh, we're going to add to that in the coming weeks, but to remind us of what we've committed to God to pray Uh, as individuals and together. Next week, Mother's Day, uh, warning guys, it's Mother's Day, get your stuff together, right? Next week, Mother's Day, uh, we will uh, talk about sharing together an evangelism sermon and in two weeks meeting together about how God desires us to continue to meet together because we belong together. But like we heard in these videos, and like we'll see through our sermon today, we're made to complement one another, to fit and to fill in one another's gaps, and to do things together that we can't do on our own, and to do it better together than we could do on our own. Our connectedness, our giftedness, our spiritual gifts, our ministry, our service, all these things are better together. We've got a scripture memory verse of the month to remind us of that. And our scripture memory verse of the month, since we're in a new month, is a new verse. And that comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. Let's read that together. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others 
as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 1 Peter 4, 8-10. Others. To serve others. That God has gifted us for others. If you've got your Bible, as I mentioned to you, and you're able to, would you stand with me as we read Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17, our key passage today. Just as two weeks ago, we use an introduction of a book where Paul is writing a letter to an entire church full of people, and he's greeting them, but you see in his greeting purpose and intent. Listen with me as I read Romans chapter 1, 8 and following. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of His Son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith or each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but now have been prevented to doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles." I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to wise and to foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God first uh, for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in this gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. God, we come to you again in prayer. And we ask that you'd help us understand your word. Encourage us and challenge us and teach us that we would be better together. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. Thank you. When I look at this passage of Scripture, I see six reasons that God has made us as He did. Six reasons that God has made us as He did. And the first one is this. That's our character. Our character. And our character should be evident to others. People should be able to see who we are. Time out a second. What do you mean they should be able to say who we are, see who we are, Aaron? They can see who we are. Your character is showing all the time, whether you realize it or not. Who you are shows by what you do, and most importantly, by how you do it. All those things come together. Look at what our scripture says. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Remember, I told you Paul's writing a church, the church at Rome. And Paul has had a desire, as you see later in this passage of Scripture, to go visit the church at Rome, but he's not there yet. And frankly, he's not going to get there in the way he hopes. He's going to get there under lock and key and Roman guards because somebody's complained against him and the law and all that kind of thing is happening. But he has a desire to visit this church, these folks, and maybe what might be at that time the most influential city in the world. 
a body of believers known as the church at Rome. But look at what he says. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. Now that may be a little hyperbole, right? It may be that he's just saying, oh, everybody knows about your faith. Well, maybe people that aren't Christians don't know about it, but other churches know about it. And in the Roman world, people know about it. And Paul is writing to it to say, people know you. They know who you are. They know how you live. They know what you do. And I desire to visit you. Character. People know us by our character. We can ask Seth to put up a picture for you there. And that's me and my grandma on her 100th birthday four years ago. Grandma passed away six days ago. And although there's sadness about grand passing away, there's really joy. Because it was hard to see and imagine in these past years that she couldn't do much for herself. That she was bedridden. She just didn't have the strength to hold herself up to stand or to walk. And then it got to be where so many times, you know, even lifting her up with the special sheets and stuff, and they had to use the lift and all that kind of thing. And she was in her bed part of the day, and she was in her kind of recliner chair with wheels on it part of the day. And that was her life. And when I got to go see her, both four years ago, or, um, for her birthday, and a little bit before that, for my mom and dad's 50th wedding anniversary, and a couple years before that when we went to visit there in Pennsylvania and to see her at the nursing home that she was in. When I first got there, I thought the nursing home staff was like, you know, knew we were there, and they were trying to snow us or something like that. You know, when you sign in at the front desk, like when you walk away that the person goes, oh, it's the householder family. They're going to visit Will the Householder in 321 and calls the nurse's station real quick. Hey, the householder's coming. Everybody act nice to Wilda in 321. Because folks would come by her room and they would say, oh, hey, Wilda, how are you today? And they'd ask her and they'd, she'd introduce us or we'd introduce ourselves. And then person after person, staff member after staff member. And I'm sitting there like, these people must not be this nice. They're really acting nice because we're here. Well, I went back the next day. They were still nice. And then I kind of let my guard down a little bit, and I noticed, wait a second. She's asking them about their families. They're asking her about her family. They do know each other. There's a relationship here. There's love here. But as she declined, she could do less and less. She's basically stuck in her bed or stuck in her chair, and they'd take her to this activity or that activity, but she depended on these people for everything, basically, other than feeding herself. And I, my heart broke because I thought, my poor grand, she can't do anything. So fast forward to Thursday. I'm on the airplane, flying towards my grandmother's funeral. And although I've had the Bible that my dad gave to my grandparents on the Christmas of 1977 on the shelf in my office there with all the other books I have, I never really opened it. I didn't want to open it. But now I knew it's Grand's Bible. I pull it off the shelf. And as I'm sitting there on my, in the plane, I'm flipping page after page. You remember there's 31,000 verses of Scripture in the Bible. I don't think I would be exaggerating to tell you my grandmother had underlined a thousand of them. And she didn't just, you know, straight underline them. She'd underline some words, then she'd underline one a few times, or she'd circle it, or put a box around it, and she'd write something in the margin. 
And I just read page after page after page. And all the time I'm praying, God, help me get the right words to preach to honor my grandma, to use my grandma to point people to Jesus who she loved and served. And I'm getting towards the end of the Bible, and I've written myself some notes about some really cool scripture passages. And I get to Philippians chapter 4, when it talks about how we're supposed to live our lives, to be joyful and prayerful and peaceful and thoughtful and be gentle. And I saw all these things in my grandma. These are being things, right? And then it says in verse 9, whatever you've seen from me, heard from me, observed in me, these things do. And she had underlined three times that one word, do. And I've had in my mind for years this question of what can grandma do other than reach out and wave to people and be nice to them and talk to them and demonstrate her love. She can't buy them anything. She can't do anything for them. And I read that word underlined three times by my grandma, do. And I just started to cry. And I thought, this is it. This is what I'm preaching at my grandma's funeral because the point is it's not what you can do. It's not how much you can do that the world gives worth to. It's how you do what you do. Can I get an amen? With love, with generosity, with kindness, with grace. And even though you can't do for yourself, she did it with dignity. And she was always thinking about others. Now I'm not making my grandma out to be a saint. Please don't get the wrong idea. But I use Gran to remind us that how we do what we do, people notice our character. So your question of application for that first point is, what am I known for? What am I known for? Our character is evident to all. And the question is, what am I known for? If we were to ask people that know you, what kind of person you are, what would they say about you? Some of us are like, well, it depends on who you ask, to which my question is, should it? Should you be known differently in different environments, or should your character be consistent? Our scripture of the month said that we should love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So the bottom line question there is, do I love others? The deeper question is, do I love them deeply? How do I show my love? Is my love evident to all? Am I considerate? Am I compassionate? Am I gentle? Am I kind? Am I gracious? Am I humble? Am I understanding? Do I bring the glory of God to others by my actions? What am I known for? So we've got six reasons that God made us as he did the second one, coming from verse 9 and 10, is our passion. Our passion. Paul's passion was praying for others. Look at verse 9 and 10 again with me. He said, God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last I'll be able to come to you as God's opened the door for me to come to you. So Paul was a complicated fellow. He's a smart guy. He's a hardworking guy. Nobody could doubt that. But what did he say his passion was right here in this passage of Scripture? He said his passion was to pray for others. And 
in this particular case, to pray for the church at Rome. And he said, I pray for you all the time. I'm always praying for you. Your question there asks, what gets me fired up? What gets me fired up? Paul said it was his passion all the time in all my prayers. I'm praying for you. I long to come to see you. I want to be there for you, church at Rome. What about you? What is it that gets you fired up? What is it that gets your blood pumping? What is it that gets your mind going? What is it that motivates you, that gets your attention, that gets you up in the morning, keeps you up late at night, helps you work the long hours, helps you keep on going when you feel like quitting? What is it? Well, Paul, it was prayer. Paul, it was the church at Rome. How about me? How about you? Is there something that gets our attention, that captures our imagination, that lights our passion, that causes us to pray for others? In a way that doesn't quit. In a way that goes on all the time. So we're known for our character. We're fired up by our passion. The third thing on your outline today is our joy. Our joy in encouraging others. Our joy in encouraging others. Look at verses 11 and 12. Paul says, I long to see you so that I may import to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I long to see you that we might be mutually encouraged. Who do you know that's like that, right? That just thinking about them brings a smile to your face. And when they call you, you immediately have a lightness in your voice. Okay, I got them. I'm going to use my wife as an example. I didn't ask her permission, but that's okay. I got the microphone and she doesn't. She can say something if she wants to. <laughs> but there's this beautiful thing that happens in our house. When Melanie talks to one of her family members, you can tell. Not that she doesn't love you all. Not that she doesn't love her staff members. But there's something about when she talks to one of her family members. There's a tone in her voice that has joy in it, happiness. And sometimes you can tell because she might be kind of scolding them kindly. But there's something about when she talks to her family members, particularly her sister, Shelly. You can always tell when Melanie's talking to Shelly. And it just makes me happy. I just kind of want to sit in the other side of the room and listen. And I don't even have to know what Shelly's saying because she talks really loud and you can hear her through the phone. (laughs) So in three weeks when she's here, y'all will just hear her, okay? Yeah. I love Shelly. I love her husband, Brian, and their kids. And I'm so blessed that God allowed me to marry Melanie. And uh, we get to enjoy who she is. But that joy of being together. And even sharing a phone conversation, you can tell that joy. And you're mutually encouraged. And I pray that all of you have somebody like that in your life, if not a whole host of somebodies, like my wife does with her family. But let's look at your question there. Your question there is, how do I strengthen others? How do you strengthen others? Paul said, I want to give you a gift. And But when I give you a gift, I'll be encouraged by you that it's mutual, that we encourage one another mutually. And you know that, don't you? 
There's people in your life that you just love them so much you can't wait to help them, to say something kind to them, to listen to them, to offer advice to them, whatever you can do because you just love them. But then there's something that they do back with you that you don't intend for them to do it, but you feel blessed too. God made us to fit together, to be better together, to complement one another, to be mutual And that we're encouraged as we share love, we feel loved. As we share encouragement, we are encouraged. As we bring joy, we feel joy. It's an amazing thing that God gave us. You think about around here, we even talk about our shape for ministry. I've got discovery class going on now. And if you're a guest at our church today and you want to join us to find out how our church works and those sort of things, we're going to meet probably uh, in the back of our sanctuary today at the 11 o'clock Sunday school hour here in a little bit. And in our discovery class, we get you to fill out a shape survey, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your passion, your experiences. And we want to know how it is that God uniquely created you and shaped you so that you can serve here at Southview and you can complement and fit in and mutually complete others. Because that's what God intends for us to do, to strengthen others by who we are. Let's move on in our scripture and move on in our outline. Your fourth point on your outline is our calling, serving others. Our calling, serving others. Now, I, I know I'm talking on the behalf of Paul right here in verse 13, but it's true of all of us as believers that we are to love one another, serve one another, honor one another, 50 plus one another's in the Bible and the New Testament. But look at verse 13. Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but now have been prevented from, or but have been preventing uh, from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. Now, Paul's not calling him an ugly name. He was Jewish. They knew that. But God gave him a ministry to non-Jewish people, Gentiles. Most of them there in Rome were Greeks or Greek-speaking, but as the capital city, they were from all over the known world at that time. And so they're there, and they're not Jewish people. And Paul says, this is my calling to serve you, to share the gospel of the good news of Jesus with you, to encourage you. Our scripture of the month said that each of us should use whatever gifts we've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. In a church, we use a word that's not often used in outside church. That's stewardship. It's this idea that God gave us everything. What did I say James Bryan Smith said? That he is a generous uh, giver. And, that, uh, uh, grace. and so everything we have is from God. And then we are stewards of it. We take care of it on his behalf. It's not ours. And our calling is to serve others with what God has given us. The everything we have belongs to God. Years ago, there was that book that was popular, and many of you still have it on your shelf, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Anybody want to remind me what the first sentence in The Purpose Driven Church says? It's not about you. Your life, although you may have lived it thinking it was about you, you bought into what the world says. You've bought into what is natural. But what the Bible tells us is that our life is not about us. 
It's about loving God and loving others with everything we've got. And therefore, our character is serving others and giving to others. It's not about you. Our sin, our self, gets it all backwards, gets it all confused. But it's about being otherish. God calls us to a change of heart, to live for others. Your question for that fourth point says, why does my mission matter? Paul said, my calling is to serve others. And for you, what is your calling? What is your mission? What is your purpose? You could use any of those kind of synonym type words for that. That what has God made you to be and to do because of who you are? And why does that matter? We go to seminars, we go to conferences, and they talk to us about things like our mission or our purpose. And we get fired up and we write statements of how we're going to do things like that, but then we go back to real life because we haven't done the work to change the habit, right? Or the habits of how we live. And changing a habit can be done, but it's got to be intentional and it needs accountability. And it takes some time and it takes a way that if you get off the track, how you get back on the track and how you forgive yourself. You've got to build all that in to changing that of who you are. Notice what Paul said. His mission was, was to get a harvest among the Gentiles, the church there at Rome. He's saying, I'm coming to you, church at Rome, but... I'm going to reach out from you and seek to share the gospel with others so that I might help grow the church at Rome. That's who God made Paul to be. He was an apologist, an evangelist, a missionary. He was gifted and called and anointed. And because of that, he was powerful in Jesus. And God used him. Now, none of us may be the Apostle Paul, but God's not called you to be the Apostle Paul. He's called you to be you. You're the only you there is. And because you're the only you there is, God has an intended plan for you, a mission, a purpose, a plan for you to accomplish, to live like Jesus, but that you might be better together with others in your life. Have you found your mission or maybe you're still on the way? Well, I told you we have six reasons here. We talked about your character. We talked about your passion. We talked about your joy. We've just talked about your calling. Let's move on to the fifth one, our commitment. Our commitment in preaching to others. Wait a second, Aaron, I'm not a preacher. That's your job. Let's read what it says here from verse 14 and 15. He says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to wise and foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Paul says, my commitment is in preaching. He was saying his passion was in praying. But his commitment was in preaching to share the gospel so that the lost might be saved, so that the saved might be encouraged and made more like Jesus. He was to be a preacher. But why? For others, that they might be changed. What did he say there? To preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. The first word there, Excuse me, the first phrase in verse 14 is also one we don't use very much. At least in my NIV, it says, I am obligated. Obligated. An easier way to say that is in my question. Who am I bound to? Who am I bound to is the question for the fifth one there. And Seth will put that up on the screen. Who am I 
bound to. When you're obligated, you're bound with a commitment of your will. What are you going to do? When are you going to do it? Maybe even how are you going to do it? That you're committed, you're obligated, you're bound. Paul says, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to live my life in a way that I can preach the gospel. That's why I want to come to you. That's why I'm writing you. That's why I pray for you. It's all about sharing the gospel with you in Rome and everybody else that God calls me to. But God's called me to Rome. So that comes back to you to ask, who are you bound to? Who is it that God has called you to minister to? What life has he put you in where you can live? Who are your folks in your sphere of influence? Your children, your siblings, your co-workers, your Sunday school classmates, your neighbors, the people that God put you among that you might influence them for the gospel. You're bound to them. Paul reminds us of that and our commitment. Let's move on to our sixth and final reason that God made us, and that is our faith. Our faith, that's sharing with others. Look at verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, some of us may know, even though I got off track quoting it, forgive me, earlier. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We have a faith, a system of belief in one way, but also a commitment of our lives in another way, that faith, I think, is used in both of these ways here, and a faith that we should share with others. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. Shame and guilt based on fear and pride can stop any of us in our tracks. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to be stopped. Because guilt and shame and fear and pride, these things are powerful motivators, most often for the negative. We hide, we run. We avoid, we are anxious, we might even get depressed or in despair if we let them go unchecked, even to the point where we can do dangerous and harmful things to ourselves or others. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed. These things are the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, both the Jewish person like me and the Gentile person for you, like you, Paul says, for all of us. Why? Because the gospel is about a righteousness that's from God and it's a righteousness from faith. And we're to share that with others so that they too might be followers of Jesus. God made us as he did with character that we're known for, with a passion that gets us fired up, with joy that strengthens us no matter what's going on in our life, with a calling to serve others, with a commitment that we're bound to others, and a faith to share with others. So your question is, what do I live by? Your final question on your outline today is, what do I live by? What do you show faith in? What does it appear that you're bound to, that your mission is? 
that people know you by. When people said something about my grandmother, they always used one word. It was always in everybody who said something about her, who had visited her in the nursing home in these last years. She was so sweet. They might say other things about her, you know, talk about her dog wrinkles or talk about that she loved the color green or that every now and then she'd get a little ornery when she didn't want to take her medicine or something like that. She'd say, I'm 100 years old. I don't need to do that. Not in a mean way. But they'd say, she's so sweet. There was a sweetness about my gran. What do people say about you? What do you live by? That shows itself not so much by what you do and how much you do, but by how you do it. God put us here to be better together, but we're known by our character and the way that we do things. You've got a summary statement there on the bottom of your outline. And that says this, that God uses who I am to meet the needs of of others. God uses who I am, not what I do, not how much I do, but who you are, your character, your being, your passion, your heart, your joy, your commitment, your love. God uses who you are to meet the needs of others. It's not about you. God called you to be otherish, God powered, other focused, and self sacrificing. Our sermon's not quite done yet. You're going to want to stay and watch the video that brings us to an end, and then I'll close us in prayer. My name is Vince Cogley, uh, and I am a small group leader at Awana. My favorite part about serving in my particular role is this like awesome chance that I get to have to share the gospel with kids who that might be their only chance that week to hear it. My name is Dana B. Sable, and I am serving as the VBS director this year, and I also serve in the nursery. I love helping out. I love helping with the kids. I love seeing the church come together and do things for Jesus. My name is Don Moody and I'm a Sunday school teacher. Like most people, uh, I wanted to serve at Southview because uh, I wanted to serve God in some way and I really didn't know how. But someone asked and I took a leap of faith and it turned into an area of passion for me and I'm so glad that I did. My name is Ryan Cole, and I serve with the deacons at Southview. You know, if you're considering serving, um, I think the first thing to do is just get your hands dirty. Get out there and serve, and the Lord's going to show you which areas you're gifted in and how he can use you in a specific way. He's called every one of us with a spiritual gift, and to develop that means using it, and he will develop that within you, and he does the work, and we get to see the fruit. I think the words better together are so important. Those six years I spent outside of church, I was alone, I was lost. When things went 
wrong. You didn't have anybody to talk to. You didn't have anybody to share, you know, Jesus being in your life and uh, coming to Southview. So many people opened their hearts and their arms, and my life has been better together since we came to Southview. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it's with joy and thanksgiving that we come to you now. We say thank you that you called us to yourself and you called us to one another. And those of us that call this church our family and those of us that are considering calling this church our family to see that, in yes, indeed, we are better together. So, God, as we consider today this idea of serving together and giving ourselves on behalf of one another, that we might be mutually encouraged as we serve others. Would you strengthen us? For those that need to trust Christ as their Savior, would they make that decision today to confess their sins and to say that Jesus is their Savior? For those that need to commit their life to follow you, that you have been calling them to some service and they've been resisting, whether that's to have a conversation with a friend or family member, or whether that's to volunteer in some new-to-them capacity. And maybe, God, it's that you're calling somebody to unite their family with our church family, that they do that. Whatever it is, Father, may we be obedient to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.